You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Hey friends, this is Travis Snow, and welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be getting into the Feast of Trumpets. Many of you will probably know that in the Bible, there are spring feasts and there are fall feasts. And in addition to having some beautiful historical meaning, all of these feasts also have a deeper messianic, prophetic, and eschatological meaning that is tied to the ministry of Jesus, that is tied to future end-time events, that makes them very important for those who are into Bible prophecy, makes it very important for us to understand these feasts and to kind of delve into their meaning and significance. And on the front end here, I want to mention before we dive into the Feast of Trumpets, I'm summarizing a couple chapters in my most recent book on the biblical feasts. It is called The Biblical Feast and the Return of Jesus, where I go through the spring and fall feast and cover pretty much everything you would ever probably want to know or need to know. So if you're interested in this topic and want to go into more depth, you can always check out that book on Amazon or visit my website, shilohmedia.org, for more information. Now, when I'm coming to this topic of the Feast of Trumpets, I kind of have two goals in mind. On the one hand, there's a lot of people, and I would say most popular level teaching on the Feast of Trumpets actually misrepresents what the Feast of Trumpets is really about from a biblical and a historical angle. And just to say very briefly, most people associate the Feast of Trumpets with the rapture. And when you really start looking at this, there actually is no direct biblical connection made between the Feast of Trumpets and the Rapture. So I want to delve into this idea about the Rapture, Feast of Trumpets, why people are making this connection and why I think people are confused. That's kind of one side of what we need to look at. But then on the flip side, I want to go into what the Feast of Trumpets really was about and and why it has so much practical value for us as believers who are awaiting the blessed hope of the Messiah's return. And we're going to look at what are the events in the millennium. So when Jesus is back on the earth, what are the events in the millennium that the Feast of Trumpets points forward to? And I'll make the case that the Feast of Trumpets is really a more so about what's happening in the millennium. Let's say after Jesus has been on the earth for a few months, six months, give or take. Um, It's not so much about the rapture. But of course, in the popular kind of what you're going to come across out there, especially among pre-tribbers, it seems like every fall, so the Feast of Trumpets occurs on the biblical calendar. It occurs usually on, on our calendars in September or October. It occurs on the first day of the seventh month of the seventh biblical month. You can read about it in Leviticus 23. And so it's there on the seventh month biblically, but on our calendars, it's usually September or October. 
So every September, October, every fall, there's a lot of speculation about the rapture and people linking the rapture, especially among pre-tribbers, linking the rapture to the Feast of Trumpets and saying the rapture is about to happen and it's going to you know, occur whenever the Feast of Trumpets is on the calendar. Sometimes people will put it a little bit after the Feast of Trumpets. I think right now one of the big uh, rapture predictions out there is later in September, if I'm not mistaken, maybe September 23rd, which would be just a little bit uh, like a week after the Feast of Trumpets this year, which uh, I believe is on September 15th. Anyways, but you're going you're gonna to come across this. Uh, someone recently commented on my uh, Twitter, a Twitter post I made saying that fall is rapture season. And fall is, in the minds of a lot of people, rapture season. And fall is rapture season for a lot of people because they misunderstand the Feast of Trumpets. So we need to kind of go through and deconstruct a lot of this and understand why people are making these biblical connections between uh, this feast and the rapture, and and I want to explain why it's actually those connections are not as solid or sound as they might first appear, and and then we can branch off from there into getting into okay, what does God really want us to understand about this feast and its prophetic value? And of course, the Feast of Trumpets, many people know it as Rosh Hashanah, which means head of the year, which has become the Jewish New Year. We're not going to get into how the Feast of Trumpets eventually kind of morphed into the Jewish New Year. That's a whole different topic. But I may sometimes use these terms interchangeably, Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah. Um, They're talking about the same thing. It's a biblical feast that's marked by trumpet blast. And so that is really the first reason why people are making this connection. Whether you believe in a pre-trib rapture or a post-trib rapture or a pre-wrath rapture, a lot of people... They're making the Feast of Trumpets connection to the rapture because of the mention of the trumpet in these various rapture passages. So we probably all know Matthew 24, 31, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, where Jesus and Paul, they say that when the rapture takes place, there will be a great trumpet blast that will announce our deliverance as believers. So there's a trumpet there in these passages. So what a lot of people are doing is they're saying, oh, great, you see, I see the trumpet in these passages. That must mean this is a fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets. And therefore, that must mean the rapture takes place at this time on the first day of the seventh month or somewhere very close in the season of the trumpet blast. So what they're doing is they're, they're, they're making kind of a basic associational jump when they see the trumpet in the rapture passages and then they're jumping to the feast of trumpets and then that of course leads to all of the speculation and again depending on how fringe you get or what kind of fringe circles you get connected to it can become very very misleading and there's a lot of speculation on rapture timing and if you're pre-trib it it could be any it could be any moment any day but a lot of people will say it could be any year at the feast of trumpets it's going to happen because it's all about the rapture because look the biblical writers and prophets they mention a trumpet a lot of times when they're talking about the rapture so this is what i think we need to understand first and foremost about this 
associational jump is that there is a an interpretive fallacy which is properly called the unwarranted associative leap or the unwarranted associative jump or something, which is basically occurs when people are connecting different passages of scripture that don't really have any business being connected. So they're assuming that there's an association between two passages or two things when when you really dig deeper, you can't necessarily prove that that... Uh, association is is what the biblical writers had in mind. In other words, I would say you can't prove that when Paul mentions a rapture trumpet or when Jesus mentions a rapture, rapture trumpet, you can't prove just based on that one word that they were talking about the Feast of Trumpets. You cannot prove that they were saying that the rapture will fulfill the Feast of Trumpets. I would argue that this is actually a fallacy of interpretation that is rooted in some misunderstanding of things. And so I, I want to just give you a couple reasons why this uh, connection or this association is not as biblically sound as it might first appear. So the first one is that trumpets were used in the Bible at many different times of the year. Actually, trumpets were used during every single feast day, including the Sabbath, but also during the spring and fall feast. So every feast day, they would blow the trumpet. Israelites would blow the trumpet over their sacrifices and at the time of their feast. Trumpets were also used throughout the year for other types of gatherings. Trumpets were used in warfare. And so what I'm saying is you can't isolate the use of the trumpet only to the Feast of Trumpets. It would make sense that the rapture would be initiated with the trumpet, regardless of whether or not it takes place at the same time as this festival, because trumpets were used throughout the year, and trumpets just signified important gatherings. So you can't argue just from the use of the trumpet, which had a very uh, broad use in, in biblical times. You can't argue that this is signaling to us that the rapture will take place at a certain time. And so if you want a reference, here's Numbers 10, verse 10. Uh, It says, God tells the Israelites, also in the day of your gladness and in your appointed feasts and on the first days of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be as a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. So he tells them, blow a trumpet in all of your appointed feasts, that would be spring feasts, fall feasts, and the Sabbath, on the first day of every month. So as every month was starting, they would blow the trumpet over their burnt offerings. And then if you go and read Numbers 10, you'll see trumpets used in all these different other contexts as well. So what I am going to ask someone who believes that the Feast of Trumpets signifies the rapture, that the rapture has to fulfill the Feast of Trumpets, I'm going to ask them, why are you making that connection when based on Scripture, a trumpet blast could be associated with so many other times of the year? Like, what evidence do you have that that trumpet in Matthew 24 or 1 Thessalonians, what what other evidence besides the use of the word trumpet can you give me to prove that 
This is talking about the Feast of Trumpets. I personally don't see any. I don't see any real solid evidence that would support this view. And we'll talk about some uh, responses that might come up uh, in response to this. But just on the base, at the baseline, you know, you just want to say to people, well, trumpets were used all the time. So why are you saying that, that the rapture trumpet has to sound at this particular time on the calendar? It could be associated with so many other times of the year. And just to give you kind of an example or an illustration that I think drives this home, just think about the use of the word lamb in the Bible. You see lambs in so many different places. And of course, we see lamb at Passover. So we all know about the Passover lamb. But it doesn't mean that every time I see the word lamb in the Bible, that Passover is the subject of discussion. So in 2 Samuel 12, there's a story where Nathan the prophet rebukes David after all of his, uh, uh, what should we call it, escapades, you know, David walking away from the Lord. And Nathan gives him this parable, and one of the key features of the parable, he's telling this, about this man, this poor man who had a lamb, etc. Details aren't important at this point. But I've never heard anyone read that parable and say that Nathan was talking about Passover just because he mentioned a lamb. No, people just understand, look, a lamb could appear in many different contexts for many different reasons. If the context doesn't tell us it's about Passover, we don't want to make the assumption and say it's about Passover. So it's the same thing with the trumpet. I'm just trying to give an example. Trumpets are all over the place in the Bible, sometimes with the Feast of Trumpets, sometimes not. So you can't conclude just based on one word, the word trumpet, that we're talking about the Feast of Trumpets in these rapture passages. And this really highlights too a lot of what I see kind of at the popular level, how this associational fallacy operates where people are fixated on words rather than fuller biblical context. And I always say that the meaning of a passage has to be established based on its own immediate context, and you should be able to draw the meaning of the passage from the passage itself. You shouldn't always need to rely on these kind of word associations where you jump here and jump there to prove your point. Of course, the Bible is a unified book, so there is intertextuality, and there are passages that are related to one another. We'll look at some some of this kind of intertextual type of relationships later, but when you're doing intertextuality, you can establish in passage A what it's about. And then you can establish in passage B independently what it's about. And if both of those passages are about the same thing, then you can bring an intertextual relationship. But if you can't prove that passage A is about something, it doesn't doesn't work with the, the rules of interpretation. It doesn't work to try to immediately import passage B on top of it. And I know some of this is a little bit theoretical, but I'm just saying when you're reading Matthew 24 or 1 Thessalonians and you see the word trumpet, if you can't get from the language in in those passages themselves that the Feast of Trumpets is a topic of discussion, we shouldn't be importing these verses in Leviticus or other verses that talk about the Feast of Trumpets on top of them, right? That's, That's the associational fallacy, which is kind of like the counterfeit form of intertextuality. And I talk about this in some of my other books as well, because it's so, it's so common. It's such a common error to see. And it's actually this associational fallacy is driving a lot of just the, 
really crazy out there rapture views and rapture timelines and everyone getting hyped up on the rapture in the fall. And uh, as someone who kind of does biblical interpretation for a living and as a hobby, it just, you know, it really is unfortunate to see that people aren't being taught more of baseline interpretive principles. There's just all these teachers out there who are throwing all these associations and all these conclusions at them, and they're not ever proving their case as I think the case should be proven if you're going to say something as bold as like, this is the day the rapture is going to happen. Okay, so that's one error that's driving the rapture Feast of Trumpets theology. There's also a second error as well, and this is a theological error that is related to the biblical feasts and how people look at the feasts more broadly. I did my last podcast, the August podcast on this, so I'm just going to touch on this. If you want to go deeper into this whole topic, you can listen to that podcast or check out my my recent book on the feasts. But the error is that people believe Jesus already fulfilled the spring feasts. So they believe that God is done with the spring feast, basically, and the only feasts that still have prophetic value and meaning, in their view, are the fall feasts. So you can imagine how this error is kind of propagating itself and how it's leading to all this speculation about the rapture because people, they say, well, Jesus already fulfilled the spring feast, so God's done with those. The next feast to be fulfilled is going to be the first fall feast, which would be the Feast of Trumpets. Oh, it just so happens that one of the next big major prophetic events, at least as far as the second coming is concerned, is the rapture. Oh, and I just so happen to see these trumpets in the rapture passages. So then the associational fallacy kicks in and then people say, oh, so that must be it. The the rapture must be fulfilling the feast of trumpets and it must happen at this time of year. So you can see it's their theological presupposition about the feast that's driving them um, to these conclusions just as much as some of the interpretational fallacies, I would say. But here's the thing. If you actually read the Bible, if you actually study the feast, you'll see that there is no no verse, there is no place in scripture that says the spring feasts have been fulfilled. Matter of fact, Jesus says the exact opposite. Luke 22, he talks about a future fulfillment of Passover in the kingdom of God when he returns. So Jesus understood that Passover is just as much about the future as it is about the past. Paul also says in Colossians 2, 16 to 17, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. That would be the biblical feast. And then he says, because these things are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So Paul groups all of the biblical feasts together and says they are a shadow of what is to come. That is clear eschatological language, that little phrase there, what is to come, and its derivatives is used in so many places in the New Testament where the uh, biblical authors are talking about the second coming and the kingdom. So all Paul is saying is all of these feasts, spring and fall, They're a shadow of what's to come. There's no sense in which one feast has already been fulfilled or the spring feasts have already been fulfilled and now we're on to the fall feast. That just doesn't work biblically. So once you understand these two things, just to kind of summarize the faulty assumptions that are driving the Feast of Trumpets rapture theology, once you understand these two things, oh, hey, trumpets can occur 
and be used at many different times of the year. So there's no inherent connection between a rapture trumpet and the Feast of Trumpets. Nothing we can prove. Okay, so there's that. So people are making a, a fallacy there if they assume otherwise. Oh, and hey, all the feasts actually have future fulfillment. So it's not like the Feast of Trumpets is necessarily the next feast that's going to be fulfilled. All of a sudden, this entire doctrine of the rapture bringing to fulfillment the Feast of Trumpets, it really just falls apart. Now, I will say as a caveat, as a pre-rather, I believe the rapture will take place after the Great Tribulation is cut short for the elect sometime during Daniel's 70th week. So I don't know when the rapture takes place. In my opinion, the rapture could take place at any number of points in time on the biblical calendar. I have no idea when. It could be spring, it could be fall, it could be somewhere in between. I don't think the text of Scripture actually tells us anywhere because all of the arguments that are commonly put forth to link the rapture and the Feast of Trumpets and the Second Coming, I, I just don't find these arguments uh, convincing. Now, I want to look at one, one thing that people will sometimes raise in response. Uh, it's the uh, passage or the verse in Matthew 24 where Jesus says, no one knows the day of the or the hour of his return, basically. So he's telling believers they need to be watchful and they need to be alert because no one knows the day or the hour. Now, I have heard some people say it's a very common view that when Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour, he was actually talking about Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets because the Feast of Trumpets was the first day in the seventh month. So it was occurring right at the time of the new moon. And a biblical month could be somewhere between 28 and 30 days. Nobody really knew when the, new, uh, the biblical month was going to start or when the new moon was appear. So the Jewish religious authorities, they would basically have to watch for the first little crescent of the, the new moon, and that's when they would start their month. So people are saying, well, Jesus says no one knows the day or the hour, and no one knew exactly when Rosh Hashanah was going to take place. So that must mean that in Matthew 24, he's talking about Rosh Hashanah and telling us he's going to return or the rapture is going to take place on Rosh Hashanah. Okay. When I hear this kind of thing, again, you know, it just, it really, it really grieves me, to be honest, because if you read the passage Jesus is not saying anything about Rosh Hashanah. He is simply telling us that no one knows exactly when the rapture is going to take place, so we need to be watchful and alert. And if you say that what Jesus was really saying was that the rapture is going to take place on Rosh Hashanah, that you've like deciphered the exact day when it's going to happen based on this verse, you're saying the exact opposite of what Jesus was saying there. You're taking a passage in which Jesus says, no one knows when he's coming, so be alert. And you're twisting it into Jesus saying, oh, actually, I'm giving you the exact day of when the rapture is going to happen. It's Rosh Hashanah. You know, it's just absurd to me. It's just, it's just so far out there. But I know these things are popular. So I try to be patient with them. And I try to explain to people, just read what Jesus says. He's telling you no one knows. So you can't take that same verse and say, no, actually, he's telling you the day of. Also, even more to the point, or just as important, I'd say, is there is no Jewish literature where that phrase, no one knows the day or the hour, is ever used in reference to Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets. Because what some of these prophecy teachers, I call them that very loosely, <laughs> and at least especially some of them, 
what, what a lot of them are doing is they're trying to say, this is like a Jewish idiom, right? And, and it's like a phrase that the Jews in the first century, they understood the phrase. So when Jesus said that, they would have known what he was talking about. And then I just say to them, I'm like, okay, so show me the, the literature, show me the, show me in the Jewish like Midrash, all the, you know, ancient Jewish texts, show me in the the Mishnah or the Talmud, show me in the Second Temple period literature, show me where that language is used with Rosh Hashanah. Show me where, where no one knows the day or the hour is like a technical phrase for Rosh Hashanah. You won't find it anywhere. So not only are they kind of misrepresenting, I would say, first century Judaism and Jewish beliefs and phraseology about Rosh Hashanah, they're just kind of making this stuff up. But they're also just clearly misinterpreting what Jesus is saying, which is to be alert, be prepared, because you don't know when these prophetic events are going to happen. So again, that's one of those core verses that people are using to justify Feast of Trumpets, Rapture uh, connection. And I just, I don't see it there. I don't see it in the text. It's like all of this stuff is based on a lot of conjecture and speculation because people know that the feasts have prophetic value and significance. And so they're grasping at like, well, what is this feast about? Okay. Rather than going the rapture direction, here's what I would suggest. And here's what I do in my book on the feast and the return of Jesus. I say, to understand how a feast will be fulfilled prophetically, you have to understand what it meant in its original historical context. So we want to move from historical context to prophetic meaning and fulfillment. That, in my mind, is the only way to follow sound methodology and actually arrive at the meaning and intent of Scripture and what God actually wants us to be looking forward to when we study and celebrate and meditate on these feasts. So when you look historically, Israel was not thinking about a rapture to heaven when they celebrated the Feast of Trumpets. I want to read the passage in Leviticus 23 that introduces the Feast of Trumpets, and then I want to kind of unpack how Israel would have been thinking about this feast, and then how we can move just very naturally from that into its prophetic significance. So Leviticus 23, 23 to 25. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel saying, in the seventh month, on the first of the month, you shall have a rest, a reminder by blowing of trumpets a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work, but you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. So he says, have a rest, a reminder by blowing of trumpets, or it could be a memorial of blowing trumpets. But here's the phrase there. This is the most important phrase to understand. If you want to understand what the Feast of Trumpets is about, it's a zichron teruah. It's actually only two words in the Hebrew. So a zichron is just a remembrance or a memorial. So it's like, let's get, to get, let's get together and let's remember something. That's important. And then secondly, a teruah. So it's a memorial or a remembrance of teruah. So we're getting together to remember something having to do with teruah and we're remembering teruah and we're focusing on teruah. Well, what is that? 
The word trumpets actually doesn't appear in this text. So that's the irony. The Feast of Trumpets is not actually called the Feast of Trumpets in the Bible. It's called Zichron Teruah, or some people will sometimes call it Yom Teruah. And a Teruah was a loud sound. It was a very loud sound. It could be a shout with a human voice. It could be like an alarm sound on the battlefield, or it could be a trumpet blast. So it encompasses these different loud sounds. So God tells Israel, as they're receiving the law, he says, I want you to have this, this memorial of Teruah, where you remember things associated with Teruah and where you basically get together and make a lot of noise. Shout to the Lord, right? Shout to the Lord, blow the trumpet, have a memorial of Teruah. And you're like, okay, well, what are they remembering? What are they remembering? Here's, here's how I look at it, and here's how many traditional Jewish commentators have looked at it. The Zichron Teruah, the memorial of trumpet blast and shouting, is a remembrance of Israel's encounter with the Lord at Mount Sinai, because that was the first place that Israel had this miraculous encounter with the Lord and heard the trumpet blast. And so over and over in Exodus 19, you have this language of Israel hearing the trumpet, and it mentions the shofar, which is the ram's horn, which became associated with the Feast of Trumpets. So Israel hears the shofar blast, and then they respond to the Lord, and they submit to him. So I'll just read part of Exodus 19. This is verses 16 to 20. It came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet shofar sound. So that all the people who were in the camp trembled, and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai. To the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So you can see there, and this is why many Jewish commentators have gone this direction, that there's this intrinsic connection between the Sinai encounter and the trumpet and the Feast of Trumpets. And so really what God was asking Israel to do in the seventh month was to remember the Sinai encounter to be reminded of the Sinai encounter that when they hear the shofar blast, they would, in essence, relive the Sinai encounter and remember, this is the God who called us to himself at his holy mountain. This is the God who met with us when we heard that when our ancestors heard the shofar blast. So we're, we're blowing the shofar and we're responding to God to remember that, but also to recommit to walking with him. So the Feast of Trumpets is kind of like a covenant renewal of Sinai in a way. Now, there's another interesting caveat there related to the trumpet and how the word teruah is used in other places in scripture, um, because there's this dynamic in scripture that when a king is being enthroned or being formally enthroned or coronated, right? So in modern times, we talk about like the coronation of the king or queen of England when the crown is placed on their head, right? And they officially begin their reign. 
So in the ancient world, you've probably seen this in movies as well, like Lord of the Rings or other movies. You'll hear this trumpet blast and it, it announces that, that the king is not just arriving, but it announces that the king is taking up their throne. So the trumpet blast, the teruah blast is associated with the, the king sitting on their throne. And so you see this in scripture, for example, in 1 Kings one thirty four. At the coronation of King Solomon, it's announced with trumpet blasts. And there's other places in scripture too where people will shout, and you'll see that word, shout, but it's actually teruah. It's the same word from Leviticus 23 for, from Yom Teruah, and they'll shout and they'll say, long live the king. So this shows up in Numbers 23, 21 as well. Uh, it says the shout teruah of the king is among Israel. And so you get this word and you get these root words that are used where the teruah of Leviticus 23 is tied to Sinai, but it's also tied to this motif of kingship throughout scripture. And of course, one of the main reasons why God announced his, his arrival at Mount Sinai with the trumpet blast was because that was when he became Israel's king. That's when he gave them his laws. That's when he like was officially taking up his throne and beginning to rule the nation as their king. Because remember, originally Israel had no human king. The Lord was their king. Well, when did he become king? He became king at Mount Sinai. He became king with the sound of the trumpet blast. And so when God tells them in Leviticus 23, I want you to have this memorial or this remembrance with the teruah, really what it's saying is, remember Sinai and re-enthrone me, recognize that I'm your king. And this is why for thousands of years, even to this day in Judaism, more than any other feast, the Feast of Trumpets is connected to the kingship of the Lord, to the kingship of Adonai Yahweh, because that's the theme here. That's what's happening. God is being enthroned, taking up his throne and beginning his reign on his holy mountain. So that's, that's the real historical meaning of the Feast of Trumpets that has to be established before we even try to get into its prophetic meaning. So then you, you go from there and you can start asking questions and you can say, okay, what event in your mind, what comes to mind when you think about the king of Israel reigning on his holy mountain and being enthroned among Israel and among the nations, having the crown placed on his head, beginning his reign, that, to me, sounds a lot more like what the Bible says will happen in the millennium when Jesus is actually enthroned as king on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, and when the nations are called to Mount Zion, not at the time of the rapture, but once Jesus is already back on the earth. So the argument I make in my book is that the Feast of Trumpets really points forward to this great coronation ceremony that will be held for Jesus on Mount Zion, which will in many ways mirror the coronation ceremony that was held for Yahweh at Mount Sinai. So they're like kind of mirror images of each other. And the prophets use this language all the time. The prophets use the language of the shofar. They use the language of the teruah or the trumpet blast when they're talking about the nations being gathered to Zion. So we know many Psalms, for example, talk about the Messiah reigning on Mount Zion. We don't need to necessarily review those. 
But there are other psalms that actually talk about this coronation ceremony for the Messiah. And not coincidentally, these psalms are a part of modern Jewish liturgies for Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets because modern Jews, ironically, more than modern, most modern Christians, they understand that the Feast of Trumpets is about the, the future coronation of the Messiah. So one of them is Psalm 47. It says, God has ascended with a shout. Although it doesn't say with a shout, it says God has ascended with a teruah. This word from Leviticus 23 that signifies the Feast of Trumpets. God has ascended. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet, the shofar. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Theme of kingship. God ascending his holy mountain. Trumpets blasting. Teruah. People shouting. Okay? Beautiful stuff. For God is the king of all the earth. So talking about when the Messiah will be king. Sing praises with a skillful psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. And the princes of the people have assembled themselves, or could even be translated, will assemble themselves as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to the Lord. He is highly exalted. Also in Isaiah, you see this blending of Mount Zion and trumpet theology, similar to what you get in the Psalms. Isaiah 27, 13 uh, builds on passages like Isaiah 2, where Isaiah chapter 2 talks about all the nations coming to Mount Zion and receiving the law of the Lord. So Isaiah 27, 13 says, a great trumpet shofar will sound in those who were formerly exiled and experienced tribulation in the last days. That's my paraphrase, will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain in Jerusalem. Isaiah 18, 3 through 7 also says that all the nations of the world will hear the blast of the trumpet and will come to the place of the name of the Lord of hosts, even Mount Zion. So what are the prophets doing there? They're taking the Sinai encounter, they're projecting it forward to the Messianic age, and they're saying, actually, when you study the Sinai encounter in Exodus, you're not just studying history, you're studying your future. One day, you and I are going to stand with the Messiah on Mount Zion, and we're going to hear the trumpet blast, just as Israel did at Mount Sinai. But then the Messiah is actually physically going to be there, and all the nations are going to shout, and they're going to raise a teruah. They're going to raise the shout, praising the Messiah, and all the nations are going to formally recognize Jesus as their king. So they're projecting Sinai forward, and they're blending it with the Feast of Trumpets. And that's really what the Feast of Trumpets is. It is a remembrance of Mount Sinai, and it is also an inspiration to remember and to prepare for our encounter with Jesus on Mount Zion in the Messianic age. That's what it's about. That's what the feast is about from a biblical perspective. Again, I have no idea when the rapture is. God can do whatever he wants. He can rapture us at any time, as far as I can tell, after the midpoint of the 70th week, you know, within reason. I, I assume there would be some months or years that would have to pass, but I'm saying any time on the calendar, the rapture could take place. But there's no definitive connection between the rapture and the Feast of Trumpets in Scripture. Really what the Feast of Trumpets is, is intended to do is to prepare us for the blessed hope of the millennium, 
It's to prepare us for the time when we won't have to put up with corrupt human governments anymore. We're going to stand there and we're going to see our king enthroned and we're going to hear the shofar blast and he's going to put everything right and he's going to give his law to the nations and his justice is going to be spread over all the earth. And and do you see how do you see the direction that will take you practically every time of you know every year during the feast of trumpets like you know, you have on the one hand, like everybody who's just speculating about the rapture and they're totally missing the point when really what God wants us to be doing this time of year is preparing for his reign, preparing for the millennium and studying these passages and studying these Psalms that talk about what we're going to experience. I I just find it to be uh, such a beautiful feast. As a matter of fact, um, when I was writing my, my book, I'd say probably the Feast of Trumpets were the most enjoyable chapters for me to research and write because they gave me such a deeper uh, vision of the Messianic age. And I could really, as I was writing and researching, I could really just envision Jesus there at this time, at this great coronation ceremony. You know, we see stuff like this on the news all the time with kings and queens. And all of this is actually going to happen with Jesus. He's going to formally establish his government and his reign and be formally enthroned and crowned king among the nations. And that's what the Feast of Trumpets is preparing us for. That's, that's the aspect, I would say, of the biblical hope that we're supposed to be looking forward to and meditating on this time or at this time of the year. So again, guys, The Biblical Feast and the Return of Jesus, my newest book, I cover all of this in depth. You can always get more information on my website, shilohmedia.org. You can follow me on Twitter as well. Well, the app formerly known as Twitter, now X, at Travis M. Snow. That's the best way to reach me as well if you have any questions or comments or anything you want to share. I always like hearing what you uh, think about the teaching. And I know this kind of goes in a little bit of a different direction than what a lot of people are used to hearing about the Feast of Trumpets. So I would, I would welcome feedback and interaction and your thoughts. But thank you so much for tuning in, guys. Until next time, God bless and have a great fall season. Have a great Feast of Trumpets. Peace. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode.